Hey, I want to welcome you to the Marty McLean Podcast. This is episode six. Today's topic, a personal story. Today I want to tell you a little something about me. So you'll get to know me a little bit better, just in case you wanted to. Now also, just for full transparency, I've been on vacation this past week, and I didn't want to give something to you half-baked. You know, when you've been on vacation, and you've been relaxing, you've been, you know, sitting out in the sun, and you've been surrounded by grandkids and a house full of people. And then when you come back to do to, to drop a podcast, you just don't have all your mind about you. And you don't want to say something that you don't want to say or that you need to say. So I'm just going to uh, tell you a little something about me. A, a difficult experience I went through. Matter of fact, I, I've written a book about it called The Wilderness. And yes, this may be considered shame, uh, shameless self-promotion. Uh, but it's called The Wilderness Enduring God's Call to Wait. And I kind of put some of these episodes in this book because here's what I found out. I found out people go through difficulty in life. Why? Because I've been through difficulties in life. Why? Because I know people, and I know people go through difficult times of life. And a lot of times when you go through difficult times of life, you think you're the only one that has the difficulty. You kind of look at others as though they've got it made in the shade, and you have this burden that you're having to carry. And oftentimes, if you're a Christian like I am, you know, you're praying about stuff and you're thinking, man, why in the world is God not hearing my prayers? Why is God not intervening? And you know that there's something you're supposed to do and you feel like you've prayed. You feel like uh, you've been in, in Scripture. You, you've been studying Scripture, the, the Bible, the Word of God. And you've, you've been seeking godly counsel, people who you trust and who that you know that have a strong walk with God. And yet, doing all that you know to do, it's like you just can't get to where you feel like you need to be. Now, one of the ways I, in the book that I kind of describe what that feels like is back in 1982, there was a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves. His name was Pascal Perez. Now, he had been recently acquired by the Braves uh, from the Pittsburgh Pirates. He had a start at Atlanta Fulton County Stadium. That's way back in the day. And he, he was supposed to be the starting pitcher on August 19th, 1982. And what he did is he got in his car and he started driving around 285. Now, if you know Atlanta, you know that 285 is the perimeter that goes around Atlanta. Well, Pascal Perez, he got in his car and started driving around the perimeter and he couldn't get off the interstate. He couldn't get off the perimeter. He couldn't get off on the right exit. And what he did is he kept going around and around and around Atlanta on the perimeter. And eventually, when he got off the perimeter, he was late and he missed his start. Now, when I thought about that, I thought, you know, sometimes I feel like I'm in a car with Pascal Perez. I know there's somewhere I'm supposed to be. I know there's something I'm supposed to do. But I just can't seem to get off the perimeter. I just can't seem to find the right exit. And you may, you may be in that situation. You may say, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I feel like I'm in that car. And Pascal Perez, he is the Uber driver, and I just can't get off the perimeter. I cannot find the right exit. That's a very, frust very, very, very frustrating feeling. Well, that happened to me back in uh, 2007. I was uh, pastoring a church, and it was just kind of pretty evident to me and certain leaders in the church. We were going in a different direction. It just was not going to work out. I, I just always looked at it as an untenable situation. It just could not continue. And so I after 11 months at the church, I stepped aside. Now, you got to understand, I was married, four kids, and a mortgage. 
and stepped aside and I began what I would term as a long, strange journey. Started a church. I had wonderful people. Uh, but things really didn't completely turn out the way I thought that they would turn out. And all during, for several years, it was like, okay, God, what's going on? I feel like there's something I'm supposed to do, but it seems like I'm in the wilderness. It seems like I just can't quite find my way. I, I prayed hard. I sought godly counsel. I got into the Word of God. Uh, I tried to do things right. And it just seemed like things just did not quite work out the way that I thought they were going to work out. Now, perhaps you've been in a situation like that, and and perhaps, you know, you have uh, questions about, hey, God, what are you doing? Or, hey, God, why have you answered this prayer? Or, or hey, God, what can I be doing differently? Or, or God, I, I thought I heard you, but it just didn't seem to turn out uh, the way I thought it was going to turn out. You know, there was a time in Mark chapter 6 when Jesus had just fed 5,000 people. And we know from John chapter 6 that in response to this, what we'd call a biblical, uh, miracle of biblical proportions, that there are people who wanted to make him king. Uh, but that wasn't supposed to happen that way. So Jesus, he, he sends his disciples away in a boat and he disperses a crowd. And then he goes and spends some time by himself in prayer up on a mountain. And it says in, in, in Mark chapter 6 verse 45, that he made his disciples get into the boat to go before him to the other side to Bethsaida. Now, while the disciples are crossing the water, uh, they encounter an intense storm. Now, the wind's blowing against them, and they're making no progress. Uh, as a matter of fact, it turns into an all-night adventure. Now, somewhere between 3 and 6, as they're straining against the wind, the disciples, they see something that looks like a ghost, and they're terrified. Uh, but the figure turns out to be Jesus, and he's doing the impossible. He's walking on water. And then after he speaks words of reassurance to his disciples, Jesus gets into the boat with them. And then we're told that uh, soon after he, he got into the boat that the storm ceases and the disciples are all greatly amazed. But here's what happens. Now, if you, if you have a simple reading of the passage, it indicates that Jesus told his disciples to go to Bethsaida. But when they landed after the storm, they were in the land of Gennesaret. Now, the storm had literally blown them off course. Even with Jesus in the boat, they didn't arrive to where he told them to go. Now, you know, when, you, when you're in ministry and, and, you, and you're a, a pastor, you read commentaries. Now, you see, okay, now what, what are these people going to say about this? What are writers saying about this? Here's what one writer says. He says, quote, The strong winds had sovereignly sent them to a different location. Here's what another guy writes, quote, after, almost as an afterthought, Mark tells how far off course the disciples had been blown the night before, unquote. So they get in the boat, they go to where, headed toward where Jesus tells them to go. There's a storm, blows them off course, even with Jesus in the boat. Now let me say this, if the point of the story had been for the disciples to get into the boat and sail to Bethsaida, then they failed miserably, because they didn't make it. But, if it was about getting to know more about Jesus, then they succeeded. They witnessed him doing the impossible. They saw Jesus walk on water. So in this account, we learn that it was really about the experience and not the destination. The disciples may have been blown off course, 
but they still wound up where they needed to be. Now let me tell you something. If you feel like that the Lord wanted you to do something, you went to do it and it's like a storm blew you off course and you wound up somewhere where you didn't intend to be. But yet you had all the intentions to be where he wanted you to be and, and you tried in, with all sincerity, with a pure heart, pure motivation as much as you know, and trying to do things the right way. And you wound up in a different place. Let me tell you something. You've got to be able to handle the unexpected events in life. Now, I'm talking about the stuff that will throw you off your game. You'll have some downturns. There'll be transitions of life uh, that will strike you at your inner sense of purpose. But here's what you got to do. You've got to be able to gather yourself in the midst of the, of the battle. You've got others who depend upon you. If you if, say, for instance, you're, you're a man, you're, you're a dad. You've got others who depend upon you for your strength and your stability, so you've got to stay the course. And I, I say a man, of course, it's women as well, but you know, I, I kind of address certain things to men because I, I was, when I write about my experience, I, I write about it from the perspective as a, as a dad and as a husband and as you know, the one that they're looking to for, for leadership. So when something like that happens and you get blown off course and it's unexpected, and yet you feel like you were going in the direction you felt like you needed to go, and you were trusting and you were walking in faith, yet, yet a storm blows you off, off course. That's kind of difficult to take. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a difficult journey. Tough and unpredictable times are hard to handle. When you get separated from what you perceive to be your God-given purpose, let me tell you something, you're headed for a definite wilderness experience. Separation from purpose is about as bad as it gets. So how do you endure? How do you make it for an extended period of time? You know, when I, when, when, when I was studying this topic, I, I saw that there were some guys in the Bible that had this type of experience. Joseph in the Old Testament had these dreams that, uh, you know, of greatness, so to speak. Uh, that even his, his parents and his brothers would bow to him because he would be the one in authority. Yet, for years, you know, 13 years or so, he would be a slave and a, then a, a prisoner. You think about David, who would be anointed to be the future king when he was about 16 years old. Yet before he was 30 years old, he had spent about seven years running for his life from a, a deranged King Saul. Think about even in the New Testament, Saul of Tarsus, not the same Saul, this is a different Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who became the Apostle Paul. He was told, he was told that, that he would bear the name of Jesus before kings and Gentiles and the children of Israel. And he would be used in a mighty way, yet for over a decade after his conversion experience, he basically wouldn't even be the leader in the church. He would actually spend, you know, probably five to seven years kind of in exile in Cilicia. He'd have times, you know, three years in, in, in Arabia pouring over scripture. It would take years for that to happen. But they had to stay the course. 
they had to stay faithful. Now let me tell you something, just because you feel like there's something that God's called you to do does not mean it's going to happen immediately. You go through times of testing. And I'm not talking about days or weeks or months. I'm talking about sometimes it may be a few years. And you got to keep doing the right thing. You got to keep walking in faith. Let me um, let me tell you, as I talk about David and what happened in his life, there was a time where from age of about 23 to about 30, where he was hunted by King Saul. Saul was trying to kill him. David had been anointed earlier in life by Samuel the prophet to be the next king. Saul was very jealous of him, and he was trying to kill him. Hunted him like a madman. David had to live in the wilderness. He had several hundred men that followed behind him. They were part of his entourage. And at times he'd say there'd be but a step between him and death. He was a hunted man. His life was weighing in the balance. And there was, there was one particular time I want to talk to you about. There was a particular time in the life of David. This was toward the end of his, of his time in the wilderness running from Saul. It wouldn't be long before Saul would be killed in battle and his sons would be killed in battle by the Philistines. And David had an experience that almost took him out. Toward the end of his time in the wilderness, he had an unexpected situation that required intense focus. Now, during this time, he had made an uneasy alliance with the Philistines, who were habitually the enemies of, of the Jews. Yet, David was kind of a, a fugitive, and so he made an uneasy alliance with the Philistines. And, and he and his men, they, were, they lived out in the wilderness. They were living in a place called Ziklag. Now, they went out on a raiding party. And before they returned home, there were these group, this group of people called the Amalekites. They had invaded Ziklag. And they burned the city. And this is where David's family and the families of his men were staying, their wives and their children. Now, they were gone out on a raiding expedition. And when they come back, the Amalekites had invaded and they had taken everybody's wives and children. So when they arrived home and they saw what had happened, the men, David's men, they were so distraught that it says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 4, it says that they wept until they had no more power to weep. His men are despondent. And in their despondency, they direct their anger toward David. They have such intense pain that, you know what they want to do? They want to stone David. Now, David's been in the wilderness for seven years. He'd been told early in life that he's going to be the next king of, of Israel. But that was like, 12 or 13 years before this experience in Ziklag. David had been through a lot. He'd put up with a lot of stuff. He'd also lost his family. They'd been also taken captive by the Amalekites. And even though he had this intense pain himself, 
and his own men were wanting to stone him, David had to keep his cool. Now, not only had he lost his family to the Malachites, his own trusted men were wanting to now kill him. So David had to act quickly and he had to act with wisdom. Now, if you followed the life of David in the Old Testament, you know this would have to be one the lowest of the lows for him. Think about it. Think about it if it was you. It's been over a decade since the promise was made to you. An anointing was made upon your life that you'd be the next king. Since that time, you've known some success as a, as a great general for Saul, but then you saw King Saul turn on you and for seven years chase you and try to hunt you like an animal and kill you in the wilderness. What does David do? His family's gone. His men, the few hundred men that he had, had now turned on him. It says in 1 Samuel 30, verse 6, it says, But David strengthened himself in the Lord. See, he had nowhere else to go. He had nowhere else to turn. Things were about as dark as they possibly could get. And you know, I like what... Uh, boxing great Mike Tyson said he says everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth let me tell you something at this time in David's life he'd gotten, he had just gotten punched in the mouth and kicked in the groin but he didn't give up he strengthens himself in the Lord and he does for himself what no one else could do for him this was the key moment in his life there's no room for, elder, for, for error he cannot falter there's too much at stake at this time, David has to remember God's word and he has to dig deep. Now we know from scripture that David stays calm and he calls for a priest. He, he consults God and he asks for guidance. God gives him instructions. David obeys what he is told to do. He pursues the Amalekites and he delivers all who had been taken captive. Instead of folding like a house of cards, David strengthens himself in the Lord and he avoids disaster and he lives to fight another day. Now you have to understand, unbeknownst to David at this time, King Saul would be involved in a, in a battle with the Philistines that would end his life. And it was just a short amount of time before David would, David would actually become the king of Israel. But at that time, when it seemed like all was against him, lost his family, no one looked at him with confidence any longer. His men had lost confidence in him. They wanted to kill him. David strengthened himself in the Lord, and he sought the wisdom of God, and he did what he was told. You're going to have ups and downs. You're going to have difficulties. You're going to have trials that you're going to face. You're going to have obstacles that you're going to have to overcome. That's life. You can't avoid it. It's going to happen. And there will come times in your life where you, you'll feel like, that, hey, has God forsaken me? And the answer is no. He's not forsaken you. We know from Joseph. We know from David. We know from uh, the Apostle Paul that there are times of testing, and not just days, weeks, months, but sometimes it may be a few years. But in those times of testing, it's a time of preparation. God is doing an incredible work in your life, and he's preparing you for something to come. But you know what can happen? And I've seen it recently. 
you read about, and I hate to even mention this, but you read about suicides of some of these pastors, and, and it, it, just, it just blows my mind when I read about stuff like that. I'm thinking, man, how, how could these guys get to such a point of desperation? It's extremely sad, heartbreaking. But you know, depression is real. And you've got to be on guard for it. You've got to, you've got to know what to expect. And you've got to take it one day at a time. Now, I, I want to I read something to you. Something that I wrote in this book about how to look out for depression. And, I, and if you listen, I, I think it'll help because I think you'll probably be able to identify with some of it. When we're forced to wait on the intervention of God in our lives, it's easy to give in to depression. Oftentimes, that feeling of despair makes us feel helpless. If left unattended, helplessness translates into hopelessness, and that's not good. Wrong thought patterns could wreck your state of mind. Now, if you read Psalm 42 and 43, you see how the psalmist alternates between thoughts of hope and depression. He goes up and then he goes back down. However, from these psalms, we can identify three shortcuts to depression that we all too often find ourselves on. Now, the first shortcut to depression comes when we feel cut off from purpose. See, that's what we were talking about earlier. You feel cut off from purpose. You've got to be careful during those times when you feel cut off from purpose because Boy, depression is waiting. Here's what it says. The, the, the writer of the psalm was the son of Korah. He had the responsibility of providing music at the temple. His problem was that he was no longer in Jerusalem, but was in a forced exile cut off from his God-ordained role at the temple. His sense of purpose had vanished. Now, the solution to this temptation toward depression, when we feel cut off from purpose, like the writer of the psalm, is to serve God where you are with all you have. God still has a purpose for your life. Ecclesiastes 9.10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all your might, for there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. Unquote. In other words, whatever you're doing, give it all you've got. Because when you die, this opportunity comes to a close. Now in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul writes in Colossians 3.17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Unquote. So as long as you are alive, you have the purpose of serving God through whatever you're doing. This purpose lasts all your life. The particulars may change, but the goal remains the same. So get busy and get yourself out of that depression. Now the second shortcut to depression is what we will call demoralizing nostalgia. This depression sets in when the memories in our minds cross the line from inspiring us in the present to burying us in the past. Our fixation with the romanticized past makes our present situation even more unbearable. We need to realize that the past is history. We cannot go back. When we allow ourselves to be defeated in the present by nostalgia from the past, we have ceased to live as God intends us to live. Well, think about that. When we allow ourselves to be defeated in the present by nostalgia from the past, we have ceased to live as God intended us to live. If we need to get nostalgic, 
then we need to be nostalgic about our relationship with Christ and how it was when we first stepped across the threshold of faith. In Revelation chapter 2, Jesus addressed the church at Ephesus. He chastises them for leaving their first love. He encourages them to think back on how it was when they first believed. He desires them to get back to that point. He says, quote, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you've left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Unquote. That's from Revelation 2, 4 and 5. Jesus wanted them to remember how it was when they first believed and let that memory inspire their lives in the present. So, if you need to get nostalgic, then get nostalgic about when you walked closest with Christ. Allow those memories to inspire you in the present to get back to where you need to be spiritually. Now I want to talk about a final shortcut to depression that we can see from this, these two Psalms. This shortcut happens when we live life with a lack of circumstantial awareness of the presence of God. When it seems like we have lost the favor of God and our prayers are no longer being answered. The, psalm, the psalmist asks such questions is, as, quote, why have you forgotten me? That's Psalm 42.9. And, quote, why do you cast me off? That's Psalm 43.2. The psalmist feels forgotten by God. Meanwhile, his enemies continue to ask where his God is. The only voices he is hearing now are the ones who, questions, who question God's involvement in his life. In other words, there's no encouragement. And there's no circumstantial evidence of God's activity on his behalf. And he cannot understand why. He struggles with hopelessness and despair. Now the solution to this is to put your hope in God. Walk by faith. Hebrews 11 verses 1 and 6. Here's what it says. It says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. It goes to verse 6 and says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Unquote. These verses make it adamantly clear that we must walk by faith and believe that God rewards those who diligently seek Him. Now faith does not now faith does make a difference. God does bless those who walk by faith. That's what he says in his word. He decides how the blessing will come, but he will bless. Our responsibility is to not give up. Giving up can cause us to miss the blessing of God. Galatians 6 verse 9 says, And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Unquote. It's to our advantage not to give up. Trust God and see things through. God has not forsaken you. He loves you. He's for you. He's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. Just like the psalmist, we need to talk to ourselves. We need to tell ourselves to get out of the pit and put our hope in God. Now, I want to ask you this. Where are you? Or do you feel yourself going in that direction? Do you, do, you, do you feel yourselves going in that direction of being depressed? Do you feel cut off from your purpose? Do you, do you have this demoralizing nostalgia? Are you unable to see God at work in your life? Do you, do you have a, a lack of the circumstantial 
involvement of God in your life. I mean, you just can't see Him moving in your life like you used to could. You got to hang on. You're not you're not the only one that this has happened to. You don't have to wallow around in depression. Yeah, we're all going to have hard times. We're all going to have ups. We're all going to have downs. But you got to remember your purpose. Wherever you are, whatever you're doing, do it as unto the Lord. And if, if you want to get nostalgic, then think about, man, how was it when I walked really close, closely with the Lord? Repent and do the first works. That's what Jesus says in the book of Revelation. To the church that had left their first love. So maybe you need to say, hey man, I've, have I left my first love? Am I really walking as closely with the Lord as I, as I used to? What about when I when I can't see God at work? Well, I know that God wants me to walk by faith, and He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. And I've got to believe that, and I'm not going to I'm not going to lose heart while doing good, because Scripture says that you'll reap in due season if you faint not. I'm just going to trust God. I'm going to trust Him. And then there's this pattern of Scripture how God worked in people's lives, but then at times there were years where. Oh, there was a molding process going on. God was doing a, a deep work in the heart to prepare them for the opportunity. Now, I've written about this in, that, in the book I told you about, The Wilderness, Enduring God's Call to Wait. And I can tell you from personal experience, God is faithful. He's more faithful than you can imagine. And I want to encourage you, don't take the easy way out. I, you know, when you get in my age, you have friends and you have people that you've known that, that have bailed out. They've bailed out. I'm not talking about people that have committed suicide because some have, and, and that, that's about as unfortunate as it, as it gets. That's horrible. You don't need to do that. But I'm talking about people also that have quit. They've quit. They didn't see it through. And to me, that that is just so heartbreaking. And so if you're out there and you're thinking about quitting, let me tell you something. Do not quit. Don't quit. God is faithful, and you can trust Him. And if, you're, if you feel yourself kind of going down and going down, go to Psalm 42 and 43. Put your hope in God. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your hope in God. And God is so good. And He is so faithful. And let me tell you something. All that's going on in the world today, I, I can guarantee you. You get your heart right with God and you say, God, I, I, I want to be used. And, and God, let me see the big picture. Let me see what all is going on. There's so much happening right now. This is a, an incredible time to be alive. And, and if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there are opportunities for you to serve. There's opportunities for you to make a difference. There, there are opportunities for your for, for, for your light to shine because this world's getting darker. There, there's an opportunity for you to be a difference maker. And you need to look for those opportunities. And you need to do it in accordance to the Word of God and, the, and in the power of the Holy Spirit of God. Now, I hope that's encouraged you today. Um, I hope you find your, your help and your hope in God. And I just want to encourage you, if you've thought about giving up, don't give up. Trust me, do not give up. Now, I want to thank you so much for being with me today on the Marty McLean podcast. 
as I told you, this would be a personal story, and, and it won't always be like this, but as I've said, I was coming back from vacation, and I felt like this might be appropriate. Kind of needed a little bit of breather from last week. Last week was kind of heavy, and maybe the week before. I mean, when you talk about uh, stuff going on with riots, and you're talking about uh, the nation of Israel, and you're talking about socialism and all this stuff, you know, sometimes you just need a little personal touch, and that's what we wanted to do today. And I want to thank you so much for being with me on the Marty McLean, uh, let me get my name straight, the Marty McLean Podcast. And I want to invite you to be back next week. So God bless you. Hope you have a great week, and I'll see you next time here on the Marty McLean Podcast.